Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game rules by Chaosium. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try very hard to stick to language for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc. that may bear resemblance to entities living or dead is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Diamond, and for tonight's game, I will be your keeper. Thank you for joining us again on another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I'm your keeper, Keeper Michael, and we return to Horror on the Orient Express uh, while we continue our journey through Venice. And so at the top of the show, I would like to issue two very special thank yous. The first and foremost is to our listeners and our backer supporters who continue to enjoy the show and continue to show us their support. If you'd like to join them at an array of optional choices for you, you can do so at patreon.com slash the old ways podcast. The second group of people that I would like to thank today are my players who have dedicated hours of them, their own lives to my strange and still yet curious desires to play and extract stories. Uh, so to them, I would like to say thank you. And this is in no way a preamble to my onslaught, which could possibly be unleashed tonight. And so with that, we'll get to introductions. To my right. Hello, this is Mike, and I'm playing James Robert Fraser, who is uh, rather concerned uh, about her ladyship. You have every right to be, sir, as her ladyship was in ill health when we last saw her. Mm. Well, when you last saw her, let's put it that way. Uh, to Mr. Fraser's right. Hi, I'm Rena. I play Lady Elizabeth Fitzroy, and family drama is catching up to me at last. It is, but perhaps you'll have some time today to relax and enjoy yourself. Wouldn't that be lovely? I think so. At the end of the table. Hi, this is Giles, and I'm playing Simon Griffith, and Simon has recognized another predator in his area. I think it's fitting that Simon recognizes himself as a predator. I think that is a very interesting turn of phrase, sir. And so to Mr. Griffiths, right? Hi, I'm Miranda, and I play Maggie Bellinger, and I think I might be off of gelato for a while. Yes, it's clear that um, Italian sweet shops may not be your um, best bet for safety. And last, but most certainly not least. I'm Martin, and I'm playing Richard Courtney. And poor old Richard's not really quite sure what he should be afraid of, whether it's the slightly strange and overbearing man, or the Black Lake, or, I don't know, that person that accused Richard of looking at him, although Richard's not entirely sure that's not himself. Yes, keen listeners will uh, remember that the professor seems to have some, some daunting imagery put at him, perhaps some dreams or, or just things which don't seem to match up just yet. I'm sure nothing will come of it in the future. It's probably all just a figment of your imagination. So we're going to raise the curtain tonight back near the Piazza San Marco, uh, as uh, the investigators, those who are limber enough to continue on their journey today, are going to get out and uh, take a tour, likely, of the Basilica. 
and in doing so, hopefully be able to scout out what their clues lead them to. And so I will leave it in the hands of Mr. Fraser to properly move us about. So where are we off to first, sir? Well, I think it, it initially um, Mr. Fraser was... Um, very concerned uh, about her ladyship and um, uh, exactly what had happened to her when she um, had a, um, a fainting fit or what it was. I'm still not sure exactly what it was when we are, we are in the Piazza San Marco. So with the others, obviously, they've escorted her back to the hotel, um, put her under the care of Paul. And I think Mr. Fraser will have definitely wanted to have stayed um, at the hotel. I think probably... Paul will have assured him uh, that uh, he has the matter well in hand and there's nothing really Mr. Fraser can do. And, you know, him pacing up and down the corridor fretting doesn't really help matters any. So he's uh, he's been uh, gently persuaded uh, to uh, to join the others and uh, and, and head out because obviously he, ha- he also has some information that uh, might be of uh, great interest to them. So heading out towards the, uh, the piazza, he starts um, going in the in the the direction of the the San Marco Basilica, and uh, when when we have a moment um, that uh, we don't seem to be being observed by anyone, or you know, it's, uh, where uh, we've got a, a couple of minutes where the uh, the square and or in an area of the square or the streets near it where it's uh, fairly quiet, uh, he will uh, he will gather the others together and, and uh, explain to them the uh, situation. Uh, I don't know um, how much uh, you're aware of the research that uh, we were doing in the, the library. Uh, I was assisting Lady Elizabeth uh, in, in uh, uh, trying to uh, determine well, what we uh, what we could about the, uh, the Napoleonic uh, occupation uh, of the city in the 18th century. Um, it, it appears that uh, there was some sort of a plague that, that beset the city at that time, uh, which was in uh, in late uh, 1790s, I think, uh, 1797, if, uh, if memory serves, um, which was the, the year, in fact, that, uh, that Napoleon occupied the, this place. Now, hunting through the records, the historical records, um, her ladyship came across uh, a journal, uh, a journal by... Uh, uh, one of the uh, Parisian soldiers, uh, a uh, a captain there, I believe, uh, uh, Captain uh, Dubois. I think his name was uh, uh, Guillaume Dubois or some something of that like. Like uh, anyway, um, he was living in the city at the time. He had a he had a small daughter and, and she wasn't well, and, and she seemed to be uh, afflicted by this this plague. And the, the plague seemed to be a, a rather a uh, strange one, uh, which uh, uh, mainly caused crippling pains in the left leg. Um, now, during the during the course of this, uh, it became apparent to him that uh, the people of the city seemed to be uh, charging the, res- the the responsibility or the cause of this plague on on uh, one of the one of the other uh, French soldiers, uh, a fellow by the name of uh, Boucher. Um, and uh, I think they, they, there was this general sensation uh, uh, that, um, that, or general sense, I should say, that 
the fellow was uh, some kind of a, a witch or a, a practitioner of the black arts or, or something because they they were uh, up in arms and, and the place was near in riot uh, wanting to, to bring him to justice and haul him out and, and hang him for his, his crimes because they, they, they believed that uh, somehow he was causing this, uh, this plague. Well, anyhow, to cut a long story short, um, the, the fellow Dubois, he, he managed to calm the, the people down and he spoke to um, this, other, this other soldier, Boucher, and it became apparent that he had what I believe, I strongly believe, is a piece of this uh, simulacrum that we're, they're seeking, the, the left leg of the simulacrum. Uh, and then they took it uh, and they placed it in, in uh, for safekeeping, I suppose, on, uh, in sacred ground, what they believe to be sacred ground within within the confines of the basilica itself, uh, underneath a black paving slab. So it, it is our belief uh, that if we wish to find this this piece here in, in Venice, that is where we should look, under a black paving slab somewhere in the San Marco Basilica. And so I think that's first and foremost. We need to go round round the basilica and in search of the this this slab to see see if we can find it. And uh, well, I, I don't know quite how, but I think we I think we might have to to leave it leave it up and see what's underneath it. Well, I mean, uh, that's somewhat an easier task than we've been given before. At least we know where it is and what we're looking for. It must be on the ground floor because a a, a paving slab wouldn't be on the first floor and. Uh, I mean, how large can a, a basilica be? Well, uh, in, in fact, I have uh, some tourist leaflets uh, of the basilica here, so you, you can see for yourself exactly uh-huh. how large it is. Does it include a map? That's a very good question. There's not like a star that says oddly dark paving stone? No, no, in fact, strangely enough, no. Okay. But what you do get from these leaflets is uh, quite a bit of... Uh, information as far as where it sits on the plaza and some of the the higher points uh, but again it's just a leaflet there's no um fancy you know modern mapping to it so um well um, what do you think well um it, mr fraser do you think there's a good time for us to explore well, as, as I understand it, there's no service on this evening, so uh, the uh, the basilica is open to the general public, so we, we can presumably just uh, go in under the auspices of being tourists and uh, walk through it and uh, see what we can see. Oh, well, fantastic then. I, I have one uh, very brief matter to a- attend to um, uh, before. I, I just It shouldn't take me more than ten minutes or so. But if you want to go on ahead, I, I can catch you up uh, in, in the Basilica. Professor, it should be easy enough for us to find it if you can see some of those threads or anything with the sextant. Um, well, yes, but um, wouldn't it be as well to maybe have a look first with our normal eyes? Oh, uh, yes, of course. I was just thinking that if we if we need to find it faster or if we don't spot it, that maybe that's an option. Uh, yes, quite. I mean, it's it's always with me now. Well, also, we're all assuming that nobody has come after it was initially buried and took it away. Oh. Well, let's hope that hasn't happened. This is where your 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 face device could do something, Professor. Yes. Yes, if it, if it came to it, I'm, I'm sure I can um, 
Yes, make it do something. Jim, do you have an idea where this might be in the church somewhere? All I know is that in the basilica somewhere there is a black slab, and I believe that the uh, uh, this portion of the uh, the simulacrum is buried underneath it. And how many black slabs are on the floor? Well, I, I, I don't, I've not been in it. I don't know. All right, Miss Maggie. Sounds like uh, we're going to have to walk around and make notes on black slabs. Yes, I'm very good at looking like a tourist. Might I suggest you bring your camera? Oh, yes, of course. Michael, can I just check with you something? In the research that we were doing in the library earlier today, was there any indication that once the um, this part of the simulacrum had been placed in, in the basilica and under the slab, was there any indication that the um, that there was a cessation or a reduction in the uh, in the plague in the city? You don't have any reports of it continuing. You don't have any reports of it stopping, but okay. your focus at the time was fairly narrow. And so if you wanted to get into health records of that era, it'd be another dive back into the library to see if it was connecting. Well, no, I wasn't sure whether maybe there was something in the journal to say, one, you know, one, once we'd done that, then, you know, miraculously everyone suddenly got better or anything like that. No, no. Uh, the, most yeah. of the journal primarily was filled with um, rather rather salacious content uh, uh, okay. of the, uh, his, uh, his nightlife. Yes, yes. Well, I said about that, the better, I think. Um, well, uh, yes, I mean, I think bringing the, the camera if you are allowed to take photographs in the place it might be worth um, just ensuring that, that it is permitted um, would certainly be very useful in uh, being able to uh, go over what was in there at a, a later stage if we if we uh, if it's not immediately apparent when we're walking around it well um, here we are in the uh, uh, piazza the uh, as you can see the, the basilica is just over there uh, to the north yeah, actually, um, this is one of the most famous piazzas, in, well, basically in all of Italy. Uh, there are some others that are, are pretty pretty high up there, obviously, but this is the one with that that is set, you know, with the uh, basilica as the backdrop. Uh, it it gets all the wide shot <laughs> for most mm. of the uh, modern stuff that you'll see. Mr. Fraser, you're going to break off momentarily to go deal with something. Yep. And then I suppose then the three investigators whom remain. What's your approach like to the Basilica? In a touristy fashion. We'll probably yeah. snap some pictures outside. Certainly. Like all Byzantine basilicas, St. Mark's has a porch or a narthex. It provides a foyer before entering the main church. The mosaics of it, the, the domes here are and arches are from the rough 13th century, except for uh, the, the St. Mark one specifically, which was added in 1545. Right to left, they represent the creation, Cain and Abel, Noah's Ark, the Tower of Babel, and the stories of Abraham, Joseph, and Moses. Each of these three portals leading into the church is flanked by marble columns. They're highly ornamental from the 6th through 9th centuries. 
The right portal has a 10th century bronze door covered in silver with inscriptions in Greek. Above that narthex is an open gallery. And you see in this gallery the four famous bronze horses, which stand looking out over the Piazza San Marco. They were once part of the Hippodrome of Constantinople, and they're thought to be from the 3rd or 4th century. Originally, they were brought to Venice as treasure captured. Um, and then after the fall of Constantinople, uh, they were set at that point. Uh, and in 1797, Napoleon carried them off to Paris, but they were eventually returned to Venice in 1815. And so your leaflet gives you a little bit of this information. Your eyes do the rest. And really the grand nature of the Basilica, the air seems to get heavier the closer you get to it. This is something that you feel especially, Professor. There's a weight just in its grandeur. But more than that, though, there's something that you appreciate about the mathematics of it all that everything here was so precisely carved and measured. And all of the additions have been made with an exacting proportion. They've been calculated. Um, you can almost see the numbers flow off the building in a way that truly only a mathematics professor would appreciate. You stand in front of the Basilica for a moment, Maggie, doing the most touristy thing you can do, which is truly not difficult because, again the grandeur of it all. Um, and you take some photographs, which you get a few looks from travelers because not everybody has a camera. The doors are open, even though it's, uh, it's getting on to afternoon. Uh, there's tourists coming by. It looks like it's, there's, a, there's some sort of fee for entry. Maybe a few lira. And Maggie would probably loudly be saying things like, oh, Richard, Simon, we must go inside and, and see what it looks like. We may never see something like this again. Well, I, I do hope we're allowed to take photos. Maggie will probably lead lead the way over. Sounds sensible to me. Simon's just remaining quiet, but he has that little leather-bound notebook he had from back in London that he had made. Mm -hmm. um, and he's taking that out because he's going to try and sketch a rough floor of the Basilica. So he can, like, put X's where any black slabs could be. Because X marks the spot, clearly. No, I get it. Absolutely. That's how they fundamentally do archaeology now. <laughs> and, and we lick bones. Right. That's right. Entering the Basilica, you are charged three lira to enjoy the um, environments as they are set to you. Uh, but it seems really... a fairly small price to pay for supporting such an amazing piece of uh, architecture. You know, religious uh, dedications aside, it is a tithe that most travelers here are willing to pay. Entering it, you get a sense of history that overcomes you a little bit. It's really impossible to choose a single highlight of the Basilica, even though you're looking for a dark slab. Right? So there's a lot of floor look going on. The trouble you're all having is really twofold. The basilica is relatively dark inside. There are no electric lights. And so it's all lit by candle. 
Now, that's not to say that there aren't a fair amount of candles around because there are hundreds of them, but you do get kind of a cloak of the old world gothic feel gets wrapped around your shoulders um, because there aren't a lot of major light sources. And the Basilica is, even in the afternoon, fairly dark. Uh, you get a little bit that streams in through some of the windows here, but Simon, you especially just thinking about how this location would be, say, after hours, if you had to get to a floor slab after hours, it would probably be pretty dark. Since you're actually mentioning that with my mining skills, mm -hmm. how do I feel with the darkness? What would be the best method of light source to actually be used for this? From working in mines, would I want I don't think I'd want a flashlight. Would I want a helmet light or would I need a lantern? I mean there are a ton of potential lighting sources that you can get. You might want a like a electric torch um, because of the ease of handling, right? A helmet light, you're gonna have to turn your head. And you're not actually mining underground, at least as far as you know. And so the helmet light might be a little conspicuous. At least you could hide a flashlight in a jacket or in a, a satchel or something like that. Understood. I'm just trying also thinking of what would give off the most light and attract people compared to what we could use to be more stealthy. Yeah, you definitely would not want a lantern. The hood, hood even a hooded lantern would be a dead giveaway. They create tons of light in a specific direction, but I mean, it's a big beam that everybody's going to be able to see. That's what lanterns are for. So uh, a torch is a little bit more directed in that sense, given the options. And it's a little less powerful, which is kind of good in this way. Just check your batteries. Again, that outer porch or what we would call a narthex, uh, probably more stateside, that, that outer porch area is truly something to behold. Uh, the inner, these beautiful vaulted ceilings and domes are unbelievable. And combined with the shape of the church, the, the domes give an immediate Byzantine impression, even though the interior mixes a wide variety of styles uh, from classical to 19th century. It's a tenet of the Byzantine that separates the form and function of this church into earthly and heavenly portions. And the part of St. Mark's overhead certainly rises above those earthly uh, areas. Uh, you see the tiny little colored glass pieces and gold leaf in some of the uh, architecture here. And it feels like the clouds and the heavens above glitter down on you. So each of these five domes, they're borne aloft on these huge pillars. It's 13 meters in diameter, has 16 windows. The gold mosaics overhead are sumptuous and they cover the domes completely. It's almost a shame you're likely going to have to deface the church to get what you want. But so it is. So what I would like from our troop, who is already inside, is to give me a rough idea in what direction they're going to go around and how they're going to search out. And, and furthermore, what specifically they're searching for. Is it, if, it's, if it's simply saying, I'm going to look for a dark stone, a dark paving stone or a foundational stone, then, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll give a, a hard spot hidden rolls around and, and we'll go from there. 
I would probably suggest that we split up. Um, it, there's a lot of ground to cover in here. And so if we go left, right, and center, we may get through this faster. I'll take the left. Simon's agreeing with that as well. I'm going to make a wild assumption, but I'm betting with the Basilica and the city of Venice that this is probably one of the few spots that won't have a ton of black shirts in there because they don't want incidents. Is there an, a balcony area that we could gain access to? There are places that rise above, but they're not accessible to the public. So I was thinking a bird's eye view uh, might be better. What if a confused and disoriented tourist happened to wander up there? Well, I mean, uh, the aforementioned black shirts that Simon brought up probably would be get, would yes. get involved at some point. Yeah. Um, so m- most of the people who are in here are tourists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there are some members of the faithful who are here as well. Most of them are more elderly as they're continuing their duties and dedication to the church. I'll make note of the upper areas in case we need them because we can't find what we're looking for in the meantime, but I probably would be trying to take some wider angle shots while we're in here and just making note of any paving stones. Certainly. Professor, where where are your eyes going? So I think Richard's going to take a look at this place and yeah, he's going to kind of realize this is bigger than he thought it was going to be. And I think he's going to give in and, and pop the device on and see if he can see any sort of energy or threads coming from somewhere. I can't imagine that you would succumb to the desires of the device. Well, I mean, it, it could just be easier, couldn't it? I, I mean, why wouldn't you want to make things easier? Okay, as soon as Simon sees him popping on the device, since I... Simon understands how he gets focused. He's going to he's going to be running interference with anyone. Mhm. Ooh, but if we split up would Simon see it? I haven't split up yet. He hasn't. That's true. That's true. Okay. So uh yeah, professor, you uh take out the device from your pocket and you fold it out and then I suppose, as is the age-old question, what lenses will we be using today? So we're going for blue and pink. Okay, so we have identified that uh, blue allows you to see microscopic detail. Mm-hmm. And pink you're utilizing for... Well, I mean, there's no no better opportunity than the present really to to try and explore what this thing does exactly so you know why not kill two birds with one stone and let's see if we can work out what pink does at the same time very well then I will have you make a power roll but before you do uh, I suppose Simon are you going to make sure that he's not viewed while doing this to the best of my ability, I'm going to be, since I'm a large gentleman, Simon's going to go ahead and block off as much as he can, but also just appear kind of like a wall, you know, like an attendant. So if anyone's going to come up and do anything, they have to talk to me first. Certainly. All right. So that is a power roll for you, sir. One pie roll coming up, and that is a. Uh, oh dear. 
Oh dear. All the zeros. How many zeros? Three of them. Right. Well, I am going to play an empowered hand of fate against you. It doesn't feel good, does it? Oh, no, it doesn't. <laughs> I hope you have a second character ready to go. Uh, and so you are going to utilize advice. I would like you to roll 2d6. Five. Very good. Uh, so you'll reduce the available magic points that you have by five. Mm-hmm. And when you clamp the device on and you feel the lenses move into position, you feel uh, just a rush of energy as the device clamps itself into a specific place. And the lens almost seems hot as it continues to warm up. It doesn't normally get warm, at least for you. And you start feeling a, a severe amount of pain in across your face as the, the device continues to get hotter and hotter. And you look around and you see to the left and to the right all sorts of colors diverge from the mosaic floors and from the vaulted ceilings all the colors in the room suddenly start to feel wrong. And you're terribly overcome by the grip of panic. You start feeling hands on you from different places. You feel some someone trying to, some people trying to, to control you from whatever spasms you're going into. And you seem to bounce and ricochet off of all sorts of things. And then one by one invariably you begin to feel your body pulled apart piece by piece until there is just a sound of rushing air through a vacuum and you're gone oh no I'll get back to you in a minute Simon while you're making sure the professor has all the shield he needs, because there are some people who are fairly curious as to uh, just the Basilica in general, they haven't really uh, focused in yet on what the professor is doing. You start hearing him in distress, a great amount of distress. I turn to look at him. When you turn to look at him, you see what can really only be described as a star field has surrounded him. There is a almost this inky black cloud that has surrounded him, and it's pinpointed by hundreds of tiny little motes of light. It, it feels like being back in Appalachia, out at night, watching the stars. And from within that black cloud, which surrounds him like an aura, you see arms human, not so human, completely inhuman, grab at him and begin pulling him in different directions. And now you'll roll Sandy. Thirty-one under fifty-six. Okay. 
Yep. Okay, so you will take three points of sanity loss from watching your friend the professor get ripped apart by God knows what. And as they pull at him, and as you begin to react to this scene, either by reaching for him or stepping back, your movement is slightly arrested in that the shock of the event is completely unexpected. And as your brain clicks forward and your body begins to respond to what your mind is screaming at it to do, the cloud zips up into itself and only a tendril of smoke is left of where the former professor stood. And the only thing left is the case for the device on the floor? No, because Richard did not bring the case for the device. Because he no longer needs the case, he keeps it on him in his jacket pocket. Simon wasn't paying attention to that, obviously. It's funny, actually, because what you when you look for the case, what you begin to track back through your memory almost instantly is the fact that the professor's had it in his jacket pocket for way, way longer than you, you knew. And has he, has he been using it? Has he had it on him more often? Maybe. Simon's having bad thoughts about that. Um, but Simon is also now going to have to run and find Miss Maggie. Yes. Swift walk. Let's not draw too much attention. So, Maggie, your spot hidden roll. What did you get? Let me roll that quick here. Ooh, 85 over 41. You're looking through the Basilica, and it is really, really interesting. So just as the domes and the ceiling portray this celestial realm, St. Mark's follows the Byzantine church architecture tenets by creating floor patterns. Uh, Beautiful, beautiful floor patterns. The marble inlay covers about 2,100 square meters in rich tones set in an intricate geometrical and natural patterns. While the floor, though, is mostly geometric, it's it's accented uh, just occasionally with intricate animal and floral designs made with tiny pieces of marble or even glass. It's thought that the artists for this location likely came from either Greece or Constantinople. And you you just get wowed by it. And you, you get almost hungry to take more pictures of it. Because it's like, ooh, nobody at home has seen these. Oh, but I've got to go look at this one. And so you get lost in yourself a little bit mm-hmm. and your budding photojournalist lifestyle. Yes. And it probably isn't until about a minute or two later that you start hearing the, the heaving, the, the breathing approaching. Oh, Simon, have you found anything yet? This this place is so magnificent. I've, I've, I've been lost in the sights. Maybe perhaps the professor could use the sextant. It might be easier. I didn't find anything, but I lost the professor. What do you mean you lost him? He has to be around here somewhere. We were splitting up, of course. They put on the device and got sucked through a hole. Through a a hole where? In the fabric of space, because that's what I saw surrounding him. Is this like when he was blue powder? There's not even blue powder, ma'am. Well, how do we find him? He has to be somewhere. I don't know. This is stuff I do not know anything about. And I'm barely holding it together at the moment. Um, this sounds like a Lady E kind of thing. Do you want me to keep looking and you go back? Or do you want to stay here and look and I go back? Because I I think it's probably a good idea to not wait to tackle this situation, shall we say? 
Yes, I was. I, I yes, I don't. I don't want him to come back and think we've left him. Or what if he comes back and something's wrong? Um, I. Uh, well, you you saw what happened. You may be able to see if he, if he's coming back. You'll know what to spot. I'll I'll go see if I can fetch Mister Fraser and Lady Elizabeth. Sounds like a plan. I'll head back to where he was. That way, you can spot me. Perhaps she's woken up by now. All right. Maybe I can get Paul. I don't think Paul can help. He, he uh, Richard may need medical attention when he comes back. And last time Paul did those ex- experiments and, and then Richard came back after that. So uh, maybe we need a dream. Maybe we need to dream to him. All right. I'll trust your judgment, Miss Maggie. Maggie will head off, but be brainstorming along the way all of the different ways that we could possibly get the professor back. I think fundamentally, maybe the professor needs to know where he is before anybody could take any sort of perspective on that. But I think it's also important that players wildly decide to do things. That's just exactly what this campaign needs. It's what keeps it so fresh. Mr. Fraser, you've managed to slide your way into the Basilica. Yeah, so as soon as uh, we split up and they headed off to the Basilica, I will have taken a few steps in the direction that I'm going, but then I want to check that nobody has eyes on me from anywhere around the uh, piazza, and and then I, I would like to slip into the shadows uh, and just observe them as they head into the basilica, um, and then wait for uh, a few minutes, not not terribly long time, just a few minutes, just to make sure nobody follows them in. You take a measured reconnaissance of the front of the uh, that porch area of the basilica and after probably five minutes or so you feel fairly comfortable that no one has followed them in excellent and for the time being they uh, hopefully will remain unmolested and i shall be on my merry way heading down to the uh, gritty palace hotel mm-hmm. my aim there is to head over uh, to the reception area I had previously, when we were still in Milan, sent word to uh, Palaki's private inquiry office in London, um, asking them to telegraph me with uh, an update to the situation of the investigation that they were undertaking on my behalf, and uh, that uh, they sh- they could contact me at the Gritty Palace Hotel in Venice. So I am going to head down there and see if there is uh, a message for me. If memory serves correctly, there is a message for you. All right, then. So what, what does the message say? It would acknowledge that the Palakis had received the previous messages that you'd sent mm-hmm. and that there is a foray being made into Paris in regards to the investigation. Oh, all right. Okay, excellent. Um, I will respond then to that telegraph. Please keep me updated intend to remain here for two days and uh, I, w- I will inform them when we move on to uh, another location very well so with that message sent back to them you hop back over to the basilica so that, I, I mean I reckon that, that that's probably about I mean, it's, it's only about 600 yards to the uh, to the hotel and then same back again so that's not going to take terribly long time but no. probably maybe about 20 minutes or something like that would I possibly be running into Fraser as <laughs> I'm coming out? He's going in. 
I think that's reasonable to say. Yeah, sure. Mr. Mr. Fraser, we've uh, we've lost Richard. You've lost him. Well, where did you last have him? Well, um, Mr. Uh, we split up, um, but Simon stayed with Richard, and I guess Richard put on the sextant and then uh, disappeared into nothingness. I- I'm sorry. Run that by me again. You were in the. You were in the Basilica, yes? Yes, we split up. In in broad daylight. Yes. With uh, presumably a number uh, of other um, worshippers and tourists and the like. We split up. And I went the other direction. And then um, Simon came to get me because Richard put on the sextant and now he's gone again. And there's no blue powder this time. He's just gone. So, without your uh, guiding hand, uh, Professor Courtney has uh, seen fit to experiment with with his device in in f- front of goodness only knows how many people, and Mister Griffith didn't think to stop him. Apparently not. And now you say he's just vanished. Yes, he is gone. And Simon stayed in case he were to pop back into existence, but he said he disappeared into a hole. Into a hole? Well, I I tried to clarify that as well, but uh, some sort of hole, not a physical one that exists, but just... A mental hole? Something like that. I don't know if he's in the dreamlands now or where he's at. He fell asleep. No, he just, he's gone. I'm I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm... Let's just go and and, uh, and speak to Mr. Griffith and, and uh, see if he can shed a little more light on this. This this all sounds terribly concerning. Well, I was actually going to see if Lady Elizabeth is awake yet. Well, when when I left her, she she was uh, well, she didn't show any signs of coming round. Uh, but uh, we could we could go and try. Where is Mr. Griffith now? Is he is he holding the fort in the basilica, as it were? Uh, yes, he's he's waiting for Simon to return, possibly. Uh, it's just in case Simon is disoriented or injured when he comes back. Very well, very well. Well, let's hope he doesn't get up to any mischief while he's there. There's some priceless works and art in the place. Anyway, um, yes, let us go and uh, and see if Lady Elizabeth is is uh, has roused again. The two of you set off for the hotel in hopes of rousing Lady Elizabeth from her slumber. I'll get back to you in a minute. I have someone I need to directly deal with. <laughs> Professor... You didn't really think that anything in life could be as painful as being ripped apart by hundreds of hands. But it seems they've had the good sense to put you all back together. The trouble is, you're not really certain that they knew exactly how you were taken apart. And so you feel a little bit like like you've had a real bad sunburn and... That top layer of skin is peeling, and this feeling continues all over your body. It's, of course, completely secondary to the visual that you are currently interpreting. Your brain and your eyes through the lens are interpreting something rather dramatic. A wide expanse in front of you. Some sort of rocky, craggy landscape. Interwoven through this landscape 
is stream after stream of hot red lava. Jutting out from the sides of this landscape are also mountains that feel like teeth of a shark in these strange jutted angles. And there, bathed in all heaven's glory, is the star field in front of you. Murky, black existence. And there is a tune on the air here. An undeniable one. One which gets into your ear. It's difficult to shake loose. What's playing the tune? What sort of instrument? Some sort of flute. A flute. Okay. There seem to be a few of them. Perhaps there's a a concerto of flutes going on. Hmm. It starts low, but you can hear it. And it seems to warble about in your ears. And that could be from the disconnected feeling your brain is having with your flesh. Or perhaps it's because maybe in truth you don't have any flesh left. But either way, you listen. It's a soothing tune. It almost makes you feel like you need to slumber, sleep for an extended period of time. And you would, except for the imagery that's in front of you, beggar's existence. You have no idea how it can even exist. There is something there beyond the starfield, beyond that inky portion of space. It's enormous. It takes up a large portion of the horizon. And you can see it. Just the tiniest portion of it. It isn't truly dark at all. It's a muddied color because of so many colors interwoven on top of it. Simple colors, really. Blue, yellow, red, green over and over interlaid on top of one another so that way there's this almost purpley texture to it. Hmm. Well, Richard's not quite sure what to make of this one. Um, I suppose he's going to... Does he still have the device on him? Or the concept that it might still be sort of plugged in somehow? You're not really sure. Your brain really isn't functioning in the normal space and time that you're accustomed to. You're not even sure if you're really here, whether you're mobile. It feels like a dream, but unlike the dreamlands, you, you've no control over your own body or its locomotion. You do feel that it is right, proper to sit and listen to this tune. Because clearly what you need is a deep amount of mental soothing that only the tune can bring. Richard's still got a little itch at the back of his head and he really wants to know who it was that he saw recently in one of his visions. It's just 
nibbling away at him and he, he just wants to know who that is. Hmm. That's hard to say. Hmm. Which vision? The one with... Well, he, he doesn't know who it was, but um, the, the, the one where someone was telling him to get away. Stop looking at him. It's, it's just a little itch. to know always the curious one ahead of you on the rock outcropping there you see another one of these clouds appear these starfield clouds and out of it plops a form completely inhuman multi-appendaged form it rises its way, this bulbous, purpley flesh form, all along the rocks, until it finally expels whatever's inside of it into this nearby river of flowing lava. And you see it turn inexorably towards you. You see its face. A wide face with more eyes than a spider. And there isn't really even a grin to its puffy and jagged mouth. But there is something inside of you that recognizes for the first time. Strike that. The second time today, you feel like prey. And I'm going to have you roll sanity now. That's 20. That's good. It is. The Empowered Hand of Fate played against you will upgrade the Sanity die, as it is wont to do. Yes, sir. You are going to lose seven points of Sanity for me. Oh, dear. And I'll have you make an Intelligence test. Oh, dear. That's 21. So that's a pass. That is, of course, the uh, roll traditionally that one would want to fail. Um, But no matter. This lumbering creature flows, not walks, not runs, flows towards you. It's as if the bottom of it is filled with uh, many tiny nodules that it seems to creep along the rocks with. It slithers in the most uncomfortable way towards you. You feel that top layer of your flesh over flesh seem to writhe for a moment. Your burned skin is even now coursing with concern. So I think Richard's going to think to himself, well, you know, funny things have happened before. Well, I say funny, I mean not funny, but um, the old and the unusual has, has happened before while Richard's been wearing the device. So he's going to try and sort of propel himself with all of his might away from this thing. And he doesn't know how, but it, it's just sheer force of will. Okay. So you're going to attempt to move then, yes? Basically. So I'm going to have you make a power roll in an attempt to move. So we get a better result than last time I rolled pack. That's out the box. Ooh, zero eight. You manage... Wait, hang on. What's your power? 
PC. 80, so yes, that's an extreme. So with an extreme success, given that that was the requirement, um, you do move. You're able to physically move. When you move, your body and mind stay together. But as it does, something comes away from you. This secondary portion of you, almost a cocoon of your own skin. You step back out of your own skin. And the skin then moves. And so you've left seemingly a a piece of yourself here on this landscape and are now free to move in complete and utter panic. Yeah, so I think Richard, you, I don't know if anyone's ever had one of those dreams where you kind of feel like you're um, flying through the air or wherever at an immense speed that's just un, unimaginable and incalculable. That's what he's trying to do. Where are you trying to go, Richard? Backwards, away from this thing. Okay. Any point in existence, just backwards? I think he's trying to probably envision the hotel room. Um, Ironically, the place with the bloke that uh, told him to stop looking at him. Mm, Very good. So I'm going to have you roll 2d10. Pink and green one, we're going to mix it up. Uh, do you want a total? or There's a two and a nine total of 11. I'd like a total, yes. Yeah. Right, so that's 11. Um, so spend 11 magic points. Okay, we're into eating the hit points territory. You are. Go right ahead. And um, how many hit points are eaten? Uh, five. Okay. Very good. I'll get back to you in a minute. Mr. Fraser. Maggie. You arrive back at the hotel. In haste. Yes. Indeed. Indeed, in haste. Or perhaps we'll just walk. <laughs> <laughs> A casual stroll. You're going directly upstairs? Yes. Okay. You go directly upstairs. Uh, it's probably been, would you say, maybe about 30 minutes or so since you probably left, give or take? Oh, I would say. Yeah, yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. You go upstairs. You probably call in on Paul first of all to uh, ask. Yeah. Paul answers the door. He's um, yeah, book in hand. You see that there's a on the table behind him. There's a, a cup of uh, tea, and um, he looks up at you. Oh, you're back already. Uh, yes. Um, uh, has her ladyship awoken yet? No, she's been dead asleep, as far as I'm aware. Uh, do you think it would be? Um, harmful to her if, if we were to attempt to rouse her. Yes. He says. He seems to look a little concerned. What's going on? How much harm? How much? Well, it would uh, be difficult to say, but uh, waking anyone who's uh, who's passed out from a fainting spell, even if even though well-meaning, is dangerous. You jar the brain. The what, psyche. What could happen? If we were to 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 wake her now, what what could happen? What could be the, uh, how, the how result? Technical, how technical would you like me to get, sir? As technically as you can be, please. She could have a seizure and die. Thank you for your, thank you for your candor. So we'll just put a belt in her mouth, and then we'll wake her up, and then it does not if work she like starts that. to seize, 
It is not a good idea, Miss Bellinger. Uh, the two of you don't need a, a listen roll for this. You hear an enormous crash in the next room. Well, not, it seems lady, something's not happening lady, there. Not Lady Elizabeth's oh. room. The one opposite. Oh, right. Wall. <laughs> he looks Do we over. know whose room that is? Is yeah, it one of our absolutely. rooms? Absolutely. That is Richard's room. Quick, someone, someone is searching Richard's room for the money. Yes, Fraser's going to run over run over to the door Im- immediately and and, uh, and rattle the handle to see if it's locked. It's shut, sir. Who's in there? You don't get a response. Break it break it down. That's exactly what he's going to do. He's going to put his shoulders to the door and try and try and break it down. All right. So uh, strength roll, if you would then, sir. Absolutely. And I am going to put you at advantage through the hand of fate. Oh, of course. Thank you very much, hand of fate. Let me just see. What's Mr. Ains? He's not... You know, he's, he's not a weak man, but, uh, you know, he's not a... Um, I just want Martin not, to know... you know, bodybuilder. <laughs> that I risked Lady Elizabeth's uh, life to save Richard. <laughs> Very true. So you can get a bonus die on this. Okay. Yes, bonus die. Uh, well, Al, well, um, that is a zero seven. Oh, fantastic. Ooh. You pop it open straight away. A single shoulder blow is all it takes. And the door not rattles off the hinges, but it slams against the the interior wall. Inside, there is the form, a humanoid form, that has crashed against the bed. The bed has been split in two. The mattress is now smoking. And your, your immediate concerns for a moment are fire. There is a humanoid form which slightly resembles Professor Courtney in the fetal position, having landed on the side of this bed. Miss Ballinger, get some water if you would to try and put this fire out. I'm going to see who this is, and I will uh, reach underneath my jacket for the revolver that I'm, I carry with me at all times <laughs> now. <laughs> you pull the revolver. And I'm going to prod the form with my foot whilst holding the revolver on it. Okay. Um, Richard, you don't really feel the prod, as you feel basically every nerve ending having been singed on your body. But you are breathing what you believe to be air at this point. You're just smoking. His entire form is... There's smoke coming off him. There's no obvious fire, which is your immediate concern. There's no embers, but it smells... He smells like sulfur. I'm, I'm, first thing I'm trying to do is, is ascertain if this figure is uh, alive or dead and, um, uh, and also... Can, push it over to to see who or what it is before I yeah. before I start shooting the the nudge with your foot and uh, you open up the uh, the form that was in, in the been in the fetal position and it is clearly professor Courtney oh, I think mr Fraser hesitates for a moment and then puts his gun away <laughs> um, and uh I think he'll he'll go down and uh, onto his knees and, and by, by the prone form of, of the professor um, and uh, maybe grab a part of a blanket or something like that in case he burns his hands trying to touch him because it you know does it look like you know he's um, just stepped out of a volcano or something? Yeah, I mean, actually, you're a fairly godly man, Mister Fraser. Uh, he smells of hellfire and brimstone, doesn't he? He certainly does. Oh my God. Paul! Paul! We're going to need your assistance here. Maggie comes rushing back with water as well. <laughs> you, have a, you have a small bucket of water. <laughs> what are you doing with it, Miss Bellinger? I throw it on him because I'm worried okay. he's on fire. 
<laughs> you throw it on him. Um, the the water splashes all over your all over the bed, clearly all over your trousers, and uh, creates a gust in the room of this leftover sulfurous smell. God's name has happened to you, man. Smells like you've been in the pits of hell. Are you awake? Richard, are you alive? Is Richard awake? He is, uh, with the bucket of water, he is awake enough to to begin reacting and speaking. Um, Paul clambers his way in and says, What in the world? I I don't know. I'm, I'm, where am I? You're in your your hotel room, man. What happened to you? I... I have no idea. Um... It... It it couldn't... No. I I don't know. We were at the Basilica, and... And Simon said that you put on the device, and you disappeared. You... you, Out of existence. Hands. I, I remember hands. So many hands... Grabbing at me. Uh, uh, Richard recalls being ripped apart by many hands. Mm. And flutes. Some some kind of strange music and heat and eyes. Um, uh, he just mumbles and stutters. And uh, are, are you hurt? Uh, I, I, I don't know. Paul leans down by you. It's all right, Professor. Just, uh... Pulls out a stethoscope. Just let me get your vitals for a moment. He uh, unbuttons the top of your shirt to be able to get to your chest. And and you see the same filaments that make up the professor's eyes when you look very closely at the Maggie are now raining down across his collarbone like they've spread. It's like a, a starburst pattern has emerged from his neck and down onto his chest. So is it um, his? But his skin isn't. Uh, I had this idea in my head that his skin was all burnt. Is that not the case? He's not burnt here physically on Earth. Right, but there was sort of smoke coming off him. Yes, there is smoke coming off him. Now, um, I don't know how your sciences are. Poor. <laughs> but if you paid attention in primary school, no, I'm kidding. So someone with higher sciences would be able to pick out some specific things. Richard obviously can't do that to himself because he's not quite literally beside himself, but pretty close. Yeah, there is something to his body. Maybe there's some sort of temperature change. You've seen that, actually. You've seen temperature changes in in minute forms of this, uh, Mr. Fraser. When when temperature changes across people's skin during hot or cold climates uh, come in from really cold weather into a super hot house. And you might see a little bit of steam come off somebody, but oh, this is this not is smoke, <laughs> not smoke. <laughs> so, uh, so you're not quite certain. It is now beginning to fade off his body, but this this color spray that has happened underneath or on top of your skin, uh, Professor, is quite something to behold. It looks like he's gotten a very intricate tattoo, Maggie. Or, I mean, you've seen in up close in his eyes and how captivating they are. It's either that or he's auditioning to be the next David Bowie, which is always possible. Rich, Richard, your your chest, it's magnificent. Um, uh, oh, the, the colors. Um, Richard looks down. Does, does he see the same thing? Oh, yeah. 
least it's still here. I... I don't know how to describe what's just happened. It wasn't very good. Can I touch it? Um, I would urge a degree of caution. Um, but you may. Maggie wants to touch it. She can't touch his eyes, but she's very curious about these colors. Ballandra, I'm not sure that this is entirely appropriate. <laughs> Paul steps a bit to one side. Oh, it, it doesn't seem to uh, react at all to the, the stethoscope. It should be okay. Every time he places the stethoscope on you, Richard, you feel this wonderful cooling sensation. I must say, you have uh, uh, very liberal ways in, in the United States of America. It's oh, not even oh, engaged. It's, a, it's not my time in the States, sir. It's France did it to me. I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to Miss Ballinger. Yes, these are the ways of the younger generation, Mr. Fraser. Oh, well, you can keep them. Uh, it's all the same. <clears throat> so... Maggie, you do feel a almost thread-like quality to these colors. There's almost a tactile difference. A little bit of a raise on the skin there. It rather reminds you of um, the first tattoo you felt. Mm. Your um, Aunt Edith has a tattoo. You're not sure where she got it exactly, but she showed it to you. What does Aunt Edith have a tattoo of? Well, it's probably not for this podcast, but... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Aunt Edith has a tattoo of a compass. That makes sense for Aunt Edith. I would probably run my finger along the lines a, a bit and then pull my hand away. It's quite exhilarating. I mean, I was going to ask how much chest hair Richard has. But... Totally. I think at this stage, Mr. Fraser has left the room <laughs> <laughs> and is headed back over to Lady Elizabeth's room to, to, to stand guard. Good idea. Uh, so, you do get your faculties around you enough, Professor, to be able to move, but you are quite obviously physically and mentally exhausted from the trial you've been through or are continuing to go through. Your eyes were one thing, but now that this threading is now coloring your body, concern is not the word that you would probably put on it. Richard needs to find somebody that then there's somebody that knows what's going on with him. He just, there must be somebody. Certainly. I mean, someone must have experienced something like this before, right? You couldn't possibly be the first. No. So while this is going on, Simon, you're getting an opportunity, a, a massive opportunity to scout out the rest of the Basilica. So what I'd like from you is I would like a couple of spot hidden rolls. Now, they're both at hard difficulty, but given the fact that we'll have spent likely what is another 15 to 20 minutes as uh, as all this goes on, you'll get the opportunity to do the, the, the scouting. First one is a zero eight. And the second one is a 26. Under, both are under 45, so the 26 is not a hard, but the 08 is an extreme, I believe. So it takes you the better part of that 25 minutes to search through your original, Maggie's original portion. You're going back over her work just because you're not really sure 
how um, accurate she was. That and you want to make sure that you get a full-fledged view of everything. You don't find anything in her portion of Basilica, her lane, as it were. But along the other one, the one the professor was supposed to go down rather than fiddling with himself and the device, you do get the idea there is something more here. If only because in some of these alcoves, there are definitely stones that look like they're foundational flagstones for the building. They're not mosaic, at least some of them in this area. And this is the portion here that, that again, is fairly dark. Uh, but with your spot hidden roll, you see a very small portion of the basilica that is dedicated to this saint. It looks like it's dedicated to a saint anyway. You don't speak Italian, but you know that there are tons of saints around here, so it, it's got to be dedicated to the one of them. The chapel is really tiny, very dark. So even beyond the darkness of the only candlelit portions here, uh, this has very few candles lit in it. And the mosaics here over the altar are first really only glimpsed piecemeal because of that darkness. So you benefit as a former miner from your eyes being able to much more quickly adjust to the darkness. You're used to that. Your eyes almost welcome the darkness because you're so comfortable in it. Uh, you see a saint there being tortured. And you see a scene play out of an epic martyrdom that happens to this saint by being drugged and ripped apart by galloping horses. And what your eyes with that extreme success key in on is that that saint who's being ripped apart has a left leg which has been completely torn off. I'm going to carefully write down letter for letter the inscriptions for this specific vault since mm -hmm. I don't read Italian but I can bring it back to someone who can. Um, and can I do a rough sketch of the statue? Oh, sure. Absolutely. I'm willing to attempt an art roll if you want. Yeah, why not? I believe that's a base of five. Uh, I think so, yes. Uh, it is all stick figures. That would be a 71. Fantastic. You draw a terrible looking horse, but you realize that with time, perhaps your art can get better. Uh, what you do key on is more the fact that this saint that's being ripped apart has had its left leg completely torn off. Are you going to go report your material find or are you going to continue searching? I'm going to continue searching since they were supposed to, or Maggie was supposed to return. Very good. So you step into this chapel further and there is a alcove here as well. And as you, the sole occupant of this chapel, sort of make your way around some of the, the furniture and some of the other fineries, I'd like you to make me a luck roll. That is a fail. 39 over 22. So you 
are about to search the alcove deeper when an entire tour comes through, led by some of the staff. And they begin walking around this tiny chapel, nice and slow, just as any methodical tour guide would do. And they begin examining things. Doesn't preclude you from being in here, obviously, but they are uh, distracting to say the least. I will turn this into an opportunity and the tour guide. Mm -hmm. I would like to tap him on the shoulder. And we miss you. Do you speak English, sir? Uh, mm, He raises his fingers up and makes the small inch sign. I'm fair enough, sir. I'm just trying to understand which saint this is. Isidoria. Isidoria. He takes out a pen and on your paper that you have, he writes I-S-I-D-O-R-O. Isidoro. Yes. In very Uh, blocky English. And, um, what happened to the left leg? And I tap my left leg for, you know, emphasis. Oh, if he makes this weird sound with his mouth, ripped, ripped right off. Yes. Gone. Taken. Who did it? Um, Romans, uh, Huns, um, Greeks. What was, I, I don't know. Um, he says, uh, the non-believers. And one more question, sir, because I understand you're leading this tour. And I appreciate your time. Um, When did this happen? Approximately. This would have been the 12th century. I will tip him some lira. Takes your mind. And thank him. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm not on his tour and he gave me free advice. Are you staying until the tour moves out? Absolutely. I have nowhere better to be. Miss Maggie's going to find me. I'm sure of it. (laughs) I agree. Make me a spot hidden roll after they leave. curse you Martin that's a hundred <laughs> normally at this point I'd blame roll 20 but I can't mm, no sir you're not allowed uh, so you search all around <laughs> you search and search for the next half an hour in a in a chapel that is very small but you can't make out which one of these stones is the stone in question it's it's not like you're looking for a single dark stone because the horror that you realize is is that 80% of the stones here that make the floor are all dark this is going to be fun at night I tend to agree so back at the hotel Mr. Fraser you were going to guard Lady Elizabeth's door uh, yes, I, um, I think he, he's not very comfortable in the presence of uh, the Professor Courtney having his uh, shirt taken off and having his uh, tummy rubbed by uh, Miss Ballinger. Uh, so he's just uh, kind of uh, stepping aside, letting the professional 
Paul take a look at him to make sure he's he's okay. Um, and uh, as Paul is now no longer in a position to be able to um, keep an ear to uh, Lady Elizabeth, he's going to he's going to step in to fulfill that role. You stand in front of the door. You stand guard as uh, her personal assistant and uh, well, and and as her friend to make sure that she's okay. And you wait for probably ten minutes as as the sounds and the noises coming from Professor Courtney's room continue to be strange. You hear furniture being moved around. You hear Maggie fussing over Richard. Paul seems to be concerned about uh, opening a window to get the smoke out. And it, it, while you're protecting her door, it does continue to draw your attention, at least visually and, and somewhat auditorily. And so when... Well, Lady I'm a Elizabeth, tune to myself to to, 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 <laughs> to distract myself from this. Stick your fingers in your ears. Uh, I'm you, not this thing. <laughs> well, while you are humming your tune, you are surprised when the um, well, when the rather awakened, um, rather well dressed form of Lady Elizabeth Fitzroy walks down the hallway towards you, back toward her room. kind of does a bit of a double take I said, uh, your, your leadership I, I I didn't realize you were up just raise an eyebrow back so soon I wasn't expecting you well I, w- I was under the impression that you were still unconscious uh, Paul was rather worried about you uh, told us it wouldn't be safe to to rouse you oh well he was uh doing his job uh, I, 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 I see you're up and around are, are you feeling well uh, you, you, I must say you you, you look very well oh, I'm feeling most wonderful thank you Mr. Fraser it's been quite an afternoon and as, as she walks down the corridor do does she walk with a, um, a, a little bit more sort of um, strength and assuredness than than I've seen of late, yeah? Oh, undoubtedly. She seems empowered, almost. Um, You you certainly, uh, yes, you you seem very well indeed. Um, Well, um, I don't wish to pry, but um, uh, have have you been doing more research? Of a sort. Splendid, splendid. Um, well, um, as you can probably hear, there's uh, some uh, some consternation. Professor Courtney has uh, got himself into some sort of trouble again. Uh, we thought and he was on this fire. Is different from normal, how? Uh, well, um, in that uh, he disappeared uh, in the basilica, reappeared uh, in his own room, smoking and smelling of fire and brimstone which I think is a new high or possibly a new low, even for him. <sighs> uh, you notice I think Lady E is just sort of smiling. Like she just, she mm-hmm. hasn't stopped smiling this whole conversation, which is perhaps a bit of an unsettling experience, considering she normally keeps very sardonic and composed uh, expression on her face. Uh, she, she, she seems a lot more relaxed than normal 
could I make a psychology roll to see if I can figure out whether or not she's been out and got some? Um, yeah, I think that's a fairly directed psychology roll. <laughs> got some what? Cocaine? To, to, well, to see if 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 she is um, if she is indeed herself, because she's acting very much out of character. So I think I think Mr. Fraser right now is is of the state of mind that he's kind of aware that anything could happen and maybe this isn't really Lady Elizabeth Fitzroy standing in front of him. That is a fair question. That is 51 and my psychology is... I don't think it's as good as that. Uh, No, it is 49. So that is a fail. However, I am willing to push through because I like to live dangerously. I don't have two luck to spend. I'm one point away from being able to save my life if my head comes off. So <laughs> I'm holding so, on to I, every little grain of luck that I can at the moment. Go ahead. Um, so, in what way would you push it? So, I, I think, um, I think, uh, I think Mr. Fraser will um, he will step a little bit out of the bounds of social nicety for a, a moment, step a little bit closer to Lady Elizabeth than, uh, than he might um, otherwise do, and he will he will have the audacity to reach out and put a hand on, on uh, her, her shoulder and say, are, are you feeling quite yourself, Lady Elizabeth? And, uh, and in the process of doing so, I will... I will push my psychology roll. Oh dear, <laughs> that's much worse. That was an eighty-nine. <laughs> uh, so, I will just say this, Lady Elizabeth. You can react however you would like, but I would like you to keep this in mind. A major social faux pas has been made. Hmm. What what might have been willing and accepted from you to him in Milan, there outside Miss Caballero's apartment, is different. This is, he's simply being too forward. He needs to be reminded. As soon as you touch her shoulder, like you just feel all that kind of relaxation and lightness sort of flee instantly. It just goes completely rigid. And just stands there, arches her head slightly and looks at you and says, I think you have forgotten your place, Mr. Fraser. And uh, Fraser will immediately withdraw his arm. He knows what he has done and he knows it was not the right thing to do. And he will very shamefacedly take a step backwards and uh, and lower his head. And say, I, I I I do uh, apologise, Your Ladyship. That was uh, that that was that was extremely forward of me. I I I really I'm I'm terribly terribly sorry. I I, I, it, I can only say that I I, I was somewhat con- concerned for you, and and in doing so, I. I I, I I overstepped my my place. Um, please please accept my profound apologies. Uh, I really don't know what to say. Your concern is warranted, of course, Mr. Fraser, considering all the events of the day. However... Yes, I understand your lich. It would not be wise for you to continue to forget your place. I, I, it, it won't happen again, your ladyship. You have my, you have my word on that. I'm certain it won't. 
and he will kind of swallow hard and uh, say, um, uh, as I say, um, there has been some strange incident with with the, the professor. Uh, Miss Bellinger is is here and uh, with him and 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 the um, and he's kind of tripping over his words. Um, um, Paul is 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 looking after him to to ensure that he is uh, um, he is not uh, he is not injured in any way. Um, Mr. Griffith is 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 still in the uh, in the basilica, uh, awaiting him. Well, awaiting his return. We didn't know where he had gone or what was happening to him, so uh, we thought it best if, if, if Mr. Griffith just remained where he was. Yes, it's probably wise. I will pay a visit to the professor. Would you like... In a moment. Would you like me to go um, and... and I, I, I do beg your pardon. I didn't mean to interrupt you, your ladyship. Would you like me to go to the uh, Basilica and, and find Mr. Griffith and, and let him know what's happened? And all this time, his, you know, his eyes are looking down at the floor. He is not looking her in, in the, you know, looking her in the eye at all. He just can't bear and bring himself to. He's like a little schoolboy. Yes, perhaps retrieving Mr. Griffith might be the best course of action. I will shortly pay a visit to the professor. Fire and brimstone, you say? Yes, your ladyship. Fascinating. Yes, your ladyship. A slight hint of the previous good humor is back in her voice now. Now, now, Mr. Fraser. We can't have you doubting yourself. Chin up. Just yes. watch where you put your hands in the future. Yes, your ladyship. And I disappear into my bedroom. And, and I think that uh, I will wrap this session to a close there. So thank you so much for uh, joining us for this rather raucous and fun episode of Horror on the Orient Express. I hope you've enjoyed uh, it as much as I have. And we shall see you next week.